Why? I don't. <laughs> I recovered afterwards. Uh, I'm just going to pray for Tony uh, and pray for us. When it comes to the Word of God, we want to posture ourselves. Listen and be transformed. Is that cool? Uh, oh, Father, Lord, I thank you. Uh, Lord, I thank you for just your grace and mercy upon Tony. Lord, I want to thank you, God, that um, Lord, that you love him and care for him. Lord, I want to thank you, Lord, that, that, he's, um, Lord, that he's a co-laborer with Christ, God. Lord, and I pray, God, that in this moment, God, that he would tailor with you, God, that your spirit would speak through him, that you would equip him to speak with boldness and anointing, God. Lord, that he would open your word to us, God. Lord, and I pray for us as a church to receive, and not only to receive, God, but to be transformed, God, to be looking more like Jesus. Lord, that this will bear fruit in our lives. For your beautiful name we pray. Thanks, Pierre. Um, Amazing when you listen to the prayers and things that are being said, Pierre has very little idea about what I'm going to preach today. And yet, the echo of what I'm going to speak about came up in the prayer meeting and now in his prayer at the end of worship. And, and even the songs we were singing. So it's a privilege to be here. I must close our eyes. Father God, it is a daunting task. I say that every week, but it never goes away. A daunting task to stand and teach. Or preach. When the world is full of false and subtle off the mark, I really do pray that today, Lord, that what I share is truth, points to you, Lord God, and it would steer us closer to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Um, so, I can just get this going. Um, struck me a few minutes ago that who, who's a scuba diver here? Who's ever scuba dived? Ah, does it, everyone know what scuba diving is? No. Okay, that's good. So, I mean, a scuba diver wears many things. He wears flippers and he wears what's called a buoyancy compensator. And uh, he has a DV demand valve that comes from the tank and goggles, mask, and all kinds of things. And explaining all those things, I'll talk about fins on the field. Why are we talking about fins? No, because they're part of a hole. Why are we talking about a buoyancy compensator? Well, because it plays this part. Why do we talk about the mask? Well, it's important because you can't see anything if you don't have a mask on in the water. And so it feels a bit like today, I've got a, I've got a bit to share. And it's a little bit there, and it's a little bit there, and it's a little bit there, but it all ties into the same thing. Okay? So, so bear with me. Okay, don't fall asleep, please. I know it's warm, and it's Sunday afternoon, and it's been a good weekend. But, um, so last week's preach uh, wasn't uploaded. It will be, hopefully, in the next few days. It was called God's Purpose. And very simply, what is God's purpose? It's to recon His purpose is to reconcile us back to Him. And He did it for us. Okay? And so, um, his, God's desire is that our relationship with Him is reinstated. That's it. The whole Bible is all about that. And so this week as I was asking God, okay, what do you want me to do? 
to share on on Sunday. He said, well, what did you share on last Sunday? I know, yeah, well, I, well, I've already shared. He goes, no, go. And then I got to the Colossian scripture. And um, so this week is a bit of a continuation from last week. But the scripture that I wanted to focus on is Colossians 1.23, but I want to give it some context. So let's read from Colossians 1.22, and it says this. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. There's the reconciliation. Without blemish and free from accusation. And so what, what is that scripture saying? It says, well, God has brought you back to him because of the death of his son. So that you can be holy in his sight without blemish and free from being accused of being wrong. Isn't that amazing? You, what did you have to do? Just receive. You just had to accept. And so he's made us clean so that we can be before him clean, cleansed, without blemish and free from accusation. And then he goes on in verse 23 and he says, If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Okay? And the kicker word there is if. It's a two-letter word. It's not a four-letter word. Two-letter word. But it carries so much weight. And I wanted to focus on that word today. If. And that word, if, relies on who we are. Relies on what we do. Because everything falls apart if you fall apart. Okay. It's a key word. And so, going back to what Jesus did for us. He came to pay the penalty for our sinfulness. He paid a price that actually you and I are supposed to pay. So not only has God forgiven us, but He's made us righteous because of Jesus. Right? So I'll stop there for a moment. I was bad. He paid for me. And I enjoy the benefits thereof. Okay? It's amazing. But, I think it's at this, at this point that we become the most vulnerable. God paid the price, and I enjoy the benefits, and that's when we become vulnerable. You see, before I knew God and repented, I was lost anyway. But now that I know Him, and I'm forgiven, and I look forward to the hope of glory with Him one day, I live in that. And that's the place where I'm most vulnerable to lose something. Because I can lose it. Are you with me? I'm making sense. And I know that there's a very big debate between Armenianism and Calvinism. And if you don't know what those words mean, don't worry. Because there's an age-old debate that goes on. Well, if you are saved, you know, properly saved, then you can never lose your way. And, and I don't want to get into that debate this afternoon. 
I'll show you a couple of scriptures that worry me. Whether you're one way or the other is not the question. It's this. 1 Timothy 4, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Who's he talking about? Believers. And I think I'm in a room full of believers here. In 2 Timothy, verse, uh, uh, 2 Timothy 4 verse 10, he says, Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Perhaps there was a point in the past where Demas didn't have the things of this world. But he became a Christian. And then the things of the world took over. And so he started to chase the things of the world because he fell in love with them. And he deserted Paul. Okay. Now the argument is, well, was he properly saved and so forth? I don't know. But I know that he was there at one point, And now he's not anymore. And that scares me. You see, when you don't have anything to lose, you've got nothing to lose. But when you've got something that you own or you've gained, you shouldn't want to lose it. Am I right? And our salvation is the same. This is probably a very well well known scripture. It says one Peter 5, Paul writes, Peter's writing and he says very clearly, be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the enemy, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Who's he talking to? Believers. That means that you and I are potential prey. All the time. See, once we get saved, we actually need to be on extra high alert. Guarding ourselves and guarding our hearts and our minds and taking every precaution necessary to hold on to what we've got. Getting saved is not a once-off event. And once you're saved, you're done and dusted, it's a process of becoming more Christ-like. It's an ongoing transformation that takes place. It's a dying to self and becoming a new creature in Christ. Okay? But we can so easily get lulled into this false sense of security that because now I'm saved, and you know what? I go to church. So I'm okay. No, you're not. The devil never sleeps. He is lurking all the time. You're not safe. You might be saved, but that doesn't make you safe. Here's the thing we don't naturally orientate towards becoming godly, we actually naturally orientate towards our sinful nature because we're born with it. You see, sin dwells in us, and it's lurking around every corner. And let me give you an illustration. Which way do trees grow when they grow? You plant a tree on the side of a mountain, it will still grow 
up. Why? Because seeking the light. Okay, if you drive around Cape Town, how many <coughs> trees do you see like that? A lot. There's a road um, between Melkbos and the N7 that has for about half a kilometer trees planted along either side. And they're all lying at the same angle. And they're massive trees. So clearly they were all subjected to the same wind at the same time that caused them to grow in the same direction. We're the same. We don't naturally grow towards God. We naturally are influenced by the things of the world, by our sinful nature, by comfort and convenience, by the attraction to material things, and so the list goes on and on and on. So growing in the right direction, in a godly way, is hard. Don't fool yourself just because I'm saved. It's easy. No. That's when the real work starts. Actually. And what has this all got to do with? Well, Pierre prayed. The heart. Starts in the heart. Everything has to do with the heart. The Hebrews writer writes in Hebrews 3 verse 10 and he says, and he's speaking, he's actually writing from Psalm 95 and the writer is referring to the people of Israel. And he says in here, this is God speaking, God says, this is why I am angry at that generation. And I said their hearts are always going astray. They've not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Amen. And then he goes on to say, he says, see to it, brothers. This is the writer. So he's referring to the past. I just lost my way here. I'll continue. Um, he says to them, um, going on, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Again, did you notice in there, he says, see to it, brothers and sisters. That's you and I. He's talking to the faithful. He says, be careful that your, un that your sinful, unbelieving heart doesn't cause you to lead away so easily from the things of God. Sin will not stop appealing to you. It does not give up in this life. I've heard in Formula One circles and I, and I know in football and in soccer, in the rugby and that, it's easier to get to top position than it is to stay there. Hard to stay safe. Hard to stay serving God. Hard work. It's energy and effort. Isn't it ironic that typically when we seek the Lord, it's more often than not a case that we're asking Him to fix our circumstances. We're asking Him to provide. 
We're asking him to sort out our problems. We're asking him to make a way for life to be more comfortable. That's normally when we want God. That's normally when we go to Him. We seek Him because we need Him. Rather than because we want to glorify Him. And let me tell you, I'm a parent. And if there are parents in this room, you know. When your kids want from you, it's very, very, very hard to say no. It's very hard. Because you want to bless. You want to bless your kids. You don't want them to cry. And I'm not talking about the tantrum stuff in the shopping center. I won't tolerate that. <laughs> but your daughter just says, she's like, Dad, can I, can, you know, you're walking on the beach or you, can I just have an ice cream? Oh, and it's button. And then I'm thinking, yeah, but yesterday you had a slash button. And the day before that you had some bubble gum. It's not good for you. You've got to say no. It's hot. You just, just want to bless. And I think God wants to do that with us too. We cry out to Him, Lord, I need, can you help me? My circumstances, my problems. But the Old Testament is sadly so full of examples of where God blessed and they lost their way. Think about the prodigal son for a moment. Hey, can you imagine when his father gave him his inheritance? Your credit card loaded, cashola loaded. I mean, we know you as wealthy. Motor car, I'm blue. I'm going to conquer the world. Let's go, party time. People are going to love me. I'm going to have such a good time. Where did that end him up? A big time. The father knew that it wasn't good for him, but the father gave him what he wanted. But right? the son thought that he had it made, and it didn't end well for him. I think God's heart is to bless, but I think he faces the same pondering that we do. Blessing from God is not always blessing. And I want to say this very carefully. I don't think God wants to curse us. But I think sometimes blessing from God can become a curse. It causes us to drift away from Him. It causes us to lose sight of Him. If it causes us not to keep Him as a priority in our lives, that's a curse. But think back to the Israelites, and I mean, there's so many examples I can use, and I need to keep it short. After 400 years of terrible slavery in Egypt, then wandering around the desert for 40 years for an entire generation to die out. Okay? Then finally making it into the promised land with 12 tribes getting 12 portions of land. And this beautiful temple built by Solomon to God's command. Every minor detail taken care of. Gold and wood and silver and pomegranates this and beaten that and just magnificent. Right? Storehouses full, overflowing, the land producing. The Levites leading the people in worshipping God and killing animals and doing all the things that they're called to do. An entire nation at peace with themselves and each other and in harmony with God. 
for one generation. If the blessing of God falls them to lose their way. Immediately after that, division between the north and the south, Judah and Israel. The north jealous that Jerusalem was in the south. And we're going to build our own temples and our, our own altars. And you know, we don't need to be with you and you. And war eventually between the two. Crazy, huh? You think about it. Crazy. God blessing. And what happened? Because of man's sinful nature. And I want to say this. We're the same today. We're not better. You see, blessing from God can make us comfortable. It makes us less needy. Can cause us to need Him less. And then we start to rely on our blessing. We start to rely on our blessing and our comfortable circumstances rather than Him. Almost ironic that if God can keep us needy, then we keep needing Him. But He's a God who wants to bless. He's a God who wants to provide. He's not a God that wants us to suffer. It's an extremes. He does things the way He does because He's sovereign. And we don't always understand what we have to go through. But He keeps us sharp and He keeps us honed when we need Him. But if we don't need Him, we have to work that much harder to seek Him. But, what did Jesus say in uh, Mark 10 verse 25? He says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because when you're rich, you don't need God. You provide for yourself out of your own wealth. You don't need Him. Not suggesting that you don't or can't be rich. It's okay. If it steals you away from your relationship with Him, that's not a blessing. Do you want to live in God's blessing? Psalm 112 says, Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord and who find great light in His commandments. Psalm 128 says, Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to Him. Luke 11, 28, Jesus said, and in fact, somebody had just said to Him, you know, your mother should be blessed for having you. And He says, no. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So the question then is, what does obedience look like? Is it praying five times a day? Is it dressing in a certain way? Is it attending meetings? Come on. Is it memorizing scripture? Is that obedience? What about practicing certain festivals? I think obedience encompasses a soft, malleable, teachable heart. That first and foremost loves God. That's the start of obedience. Jesus had this to say about the Pharisees in Matthew 15. He said, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. I want to ask you today, is your heart soft? 
see, with a soft heart, you have proper quiet time. With a soft heart, you don't miss meetings like on a Sunday. And I'm preaching to the choir here, because you're all here. Amen. With a soft heart, you don't miss other gatherings, community get-togethers, prayer opportunities. With a soft heart, you read your Bible and you allow God to speak to you. It's with a soft heart you pray and you thank God for what you've got. And then you ask Him for what you need. It's with a soft heart that you refer back to the Bible and how you should respond in circumstances. It's with a soft heart that you love one another because you love them first. It's with a soft heart you listen to your leaders because they care about you. Without a soft, God-orientated heart, don't bother with any of those things. Because you're at the risk of just being a Pharisee. Proverbs 3 verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. You see, your understanding is such that when things are going well, you don't need to cry out to God anymore. Because you don't need Him so desperately. And that's what the devil wants you to do. You don't need, you're okay. Life's going well. We cannot trust our own understanding. We cannot rely on our own logic. We need to trust in the Lord with all our heart. If He says attend, we should attend. If He says go, we should go. If He says serve, we should serve. If He says stay, we should stay. He says, love one another. What should you do? Love one We're in a war. We have an enemy that will not give up. When things start going well, it's easy to become lazy. You know, a good military, when there's no war, they stay fit. They keep practicing with their weapons and the discipline is kept. Okay? They don't sleep late and let the grass grow. No. They stay disciplined because they're an army. Because war can start at any time. But I tell you something, the devil is ready to bring war against you all the time. And he's craftier than you think. And he's going to want you to drop your guard. He's going to want you to relax. We're going into December. The prime time of the year, when actually you can sleep a bit late, you have some leave. You don't have to read the Bible. You don't have to pray so fervently. Got my bonus, if you got blessed with the bonus, I can just, the devil is going to work hard to pry you away from your relationship with you. And only you can make the difference. God's not going to force you. You need to do it. So, while we face this terrible predicament, I want to bring some hope. As I bring this in today. And it's perhaps another preach, but I'm going to offer a couple of scriptures. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18 says this. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
Our hope is in what? Jesus. Our hope is in the power of the cross. What did the cross do? Conquered death. Conquered the price we should have to pay. Jesus did it. That's where our hope lies. I didn't give this to you, Odin, but the scripture 1 John 4 verse 4 says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I think the hope of glory is a preach all on its own, so I'm not going to go any further with scripture. God did it for us and he continues to do it for us. Our hope and our joy is in the cross of Jesus Christ. He is our Lord and Savior. And we are not expected to fight this battle alone. Jesus gave us the Comforter or the Counselor as He's known, the Holy Spirit. And He empowers us and He enables us to fight this fight. But it is a fight. God did not leave us to our own devices. But I want to warn you, when things start going well, be careful that you don't become lazy. The devil divide you away and he will beat you and you won't even see it coming. So landing this, I want to ask, perhaps, I don't think so, but I do want to offer, perhaps there are one or two people here who are listening to what I've just said. That the cross is foolishness, it doesn't make sense. What does that mean? I've used the word saved, we mean saved. Saved from what? Well, the fact is, is that each and every one of us sitting here today have said and done things that are not pleasing to a holy God. Everyone. Most of us have found forgiveness for that. Because we've accepted Jesus. So uh, I want to ask you, close your eyes, why you Is there anyone here today that has never said yes, I want my sins forgiven? I want them forgiven today. And I want to accept this person called Jesus as my sin. Is there anyone here today that's never made that decision? If that's you, why don't you put up your hand and I'll pray with you. Is anyone this afternoon? Okay, that's awesome. So you can look at me. We're asked, God calls us to stay vigilant. It's wonderful that we don't have to do it on our own screen. But it starts with a soft, God-orientated heart. It's willing to stay the distance and fight the good fight. So I want to ask you all today, maybe you've become lazy or complacent. Maybe you feel like you have drifted. You haven't given God the time that He deserves. Maybe you have taken what the Bible says, you take your hand off the plow. You know, if you are plowing the field and you take your hand off, that plow is going to go... Going to go in the direction you don't want it to go. I want to ask you this afternoon if that's you, if you feel like maybe, yeah, I have, I've become a little bit lazy. It's 
not about being holy. It's just about putting God first. I'm going to ask you, will you stand with me? I'm going to pray with you. Anyone? You want to recommit the realization that we need to keep up seeking God and staying close to Him. Why don't we all stand? Let's pray this prayer for Lord Jesus, I know that I'm right with you. And I know that you love me so much. But I never want to be fooled into thinking I'm okay standing alone. Thank you.